Hello. Hello. <laughs> oh, welcome to another beautiful episode. Beautiful episode. Welcome well, to another exciting edition. Episode. Beautiful day. An exciting edition. Exciting edition of the Word on the Hill podcast. We are the Lanky Guys. My name is Scott Powell. And he is a doctor, and I'm a father. Yeah. My name is Peter Musset. Well, we're both fathers, but you're a particular I'm a kind p- of a father. I'm a particular father. You were a priest D- does forever that mean, does in the that, line of Melchizedek. Does that mean that I really like things in, in, a, in a very specific manner as a particular father? I'm a very particular father. I need my Argyle socks while I'm mowing the front lawn and dude, my short shorts. Dude, I have to tell you that one of the special things that I've discovered from the ancient world, <laughs> also known as the 40s and 50s, okay. is, um, dude, shirt stays. Oh my What's a goodness. shirt stay? A shirt stay is an elastic band with clips that you clip to your socks and then attach to the, the hem of your shirt. Oh yeah, totally. And the dads in the 50s would mow the lawn with With their them. shirt stays on. Little suspenders for your socks. Right? And your shirts. It, it solves two problems at once. <laughs> Keeps your shirt down brilliant. and your socks up, dude. This is a day I have particularly socks on that are falling down today. Quitters, dude. And I don't tuck this shirt in because it never stays tucked in. So today... My whole wardrobe would be solved yeah. with shirt stays. Dude, it's a very military thing, but you'd think it'd be uncomfortable underneath your pants, but you actually just feel kind of like a bionic man. You'd probably get used to it after a while. Oh, yeah. Iron dude. Man gets used to that suit after a while. Dude, that's we what I'm saying. We can all play our part. Dude, what is the deal? <laughs> there we go. <laughs> okay. So I was listening to Jerry Seinfeld, some stand-up comedy from him the other day. Wow, good for you. Yeah, it was good. <laughs> wow. and, and, and it was so funny because he said, ladies, ladies, these guys, when they, they read comic books, they read them differently. And and what happens is is that this isn't some sort of fantasy world, but that superheroes, they're options. <laughs> no, I, I I can see that. You're just like, well, am I, you know, do you know the, the, uh, the option that I prefer the most? Do you know, which? do you know secretly which superhero I want to be? Um... Uh, no dead air, no dead air. Uh, Ant Man, dude. <laughs> Ant Man, Ant Man is my most. You dork. Come, because then you could like control oh bugs God. with your mind, and then you're like tiny and stuff, dude. Is this he tiny? Is, is Ant Man tiny? I never saw the movie. Yeah. Is he tiny? Uh huh. Okay. That's why they call him Ant Man, bro. Yeah, I know he's called Ant Man, but he's well. Anyway, speaking of Ant Man, we're in the fifth Sunday in ordinary time. Speaking of making yourself small. Oh, you see what I did there? Oh, dude. You see what I did there? You're kind of my champion. You're mm, my hero. You better believe I am. All right. It is the fifth Sunday of Ordinary Time. We are deep into the ordinariness of time. And uh, it is it is deep in right now. Um, so our first reading is from Isaiah uh, chapter 58, verses 7 to 10. 7 to 10. Our responsorial psalm is coming from Psalm 112. And we're looking at verses four to five, six through seven, and eight through nine. The it's, response itself. It's not itself, one twelve. It's it's Psalm twelve. No, it's one twelve. No, it's Psalm twelve. It's one twelve. It's really yes. So I studied the wrong psalm. You studied the wrong psalm. Oh well, then how do you do time? You also misread a text I sent you earlier. Yeah, you're I did. missing a lot of uh, vowels lately, dude. I, I you know what? I'm going too fast. I just wanted head. to say I. Take beef with the translation of the actual response in here. Well, I, I mean, I better look it up. Yeah, you, not that you would know. All right. Because uh, I don't even know. Okay, you sweet. Can, you can look it up while I'm talking about it. And the then first our reading. First Corinthians uh, 2, 1 through 5. Is the second reading. And our gospel is coming from 
Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through 16. We're uh, still chugging away through the Sermon on the Mount. We just finished the Beatitudes last week, right? I think this, I think this falls hot on the heels of the Beatitudes. Dude. Trying to create airtime so you can study the psalm. Uh, no, dude, it's, <laughs> it's good, dude. Praise okay. the Lord, man. Praise. Light in the darkness for the upright. The Lord is gracious, merciful, and just. That one? Yeah, you'll figure it out. Okay, we'll figure it out. The Lord it's is high above nations. Or lights, something. darkness, all that stuff. Oh, dude, man, how did my, my software failed me? It, did it really? So you didn't just misread it. It actually said. It says Psalm 12, 4 through 9. And I'm like, well, oh, okay. Well. Okay. Um. I I want to I want to discuss I, yeah, yeah, with yeah, you yeah, when yeah, we yeah. get there the translation that the liturgy uses for that psalm the psalm one twelve verse four because I I there's it's it's very interesting I'm not it's not a beef but I want to talk to you about it okay so before we get there why don't we look at the first reading coming from Isaiah we've been in Isaiah for a while right. Oh yeah, we've been like we never leave Isaiah. We dude. sometimes leave Isaiah. Whatever, no, we had Zephaniah dude. last week, right? Yeah, do you remember that? That's just like that's just Isaiah Light or something. It's I don't not Isaiah. Know. Oh my gosh, did you not listen to the podcast? I did listen to the it podcast. Was a brilliant um, explication. Exegesin. Exegesin. <laughs> um, okay, so so Isaiah chapter fifty-eight. Oh, I can yeah. remember what I preached about last year. Last, you mean three years ago? Uh huh. No, uh-huh. for real? I can. Talk to me. I'm I mean, curious. I, I'm on, I, I, give me I, the I, gist. Um, Don't take up the whole podcast, but give me give us a... Tithe and your life will change. Cool. Really is the gist of what I preached about. Cool. Yeah, I mean, that. that's... Yeah, that's good. <laughs> well, I, no, no, it's not. It, it is good, but I take issue. Well, yeah, I know it's not. It's not because it's oversimplified. Dude. It is oversimplified. That's what a preaching it's moment not, is. No, preaching is simplified. Oversimplifying is is to do it an injustice. Okay. And I'm not saying you didn't. So here's the problem. And this is Talk not me. me being critical. Certainly not of you. Whatever, dude. But once again, as always, Father Peter, <laughs> I don't know if we can fully wrap our heads around this passage in Isaiah without bump it bomb the context. I know. Well, and. It, it, yeah, it's it's really interesting because I actually this the second part, um, yes, there's a lot of things, but th- there's like a real there's a depth to what the the command is. But what is the context of this? Well, the context stuff? is so this isn't just so so the reading we have it talks about sharing your bread with the hungry and the oppressed and clothe the naked when you see them. It talks about doing the corporal works of mercy, showing mercy, um, you'll be vindicated. All these things, t- tithing in large part that's a big part of it. But none of it makes so. It's not just the Lord sort of just on His own terms saying, "Hey, this is a good thing to do." It begins by calling out what they've been doing badly. Oh, and that's kind of critical for understanding what the Lord tells them to do is understanding what the Lord tells them not to do, because what He instructs them, what, what Chapter fifty-eight is about, is not just don't be mean to people, don't commit sin, don't do idolatry. It's something a little distinct from that. And it's a particular problem that historical Israel and the Old Old Testament Israel okay. had a particularly hard time with this problem. This distinction. This distinction. Well, no, this problem that they're called out for. It's something okay. they did a lot. And I think it's important to address because I think it's something that we do a lot too. Catholics, Christians, just in general, we do this. So listen to what it says. And it's 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 downright sassy. Okay. Sassy is the wrong word. It's, not, it's, it's um, well, just, just listen. So I'm going to read the beginning of chapter 58. So we pick it up in verse 7, the liturgy, but listen before that. So it says, shout it aloud, do not hold back, raise your voice like a trumpet. So the Lord is telling Isaiah to declare this trumpet. to Israel. And remember, the context, you know, we're, we're, we're in this period where Israel is suffering the weight of knowing that their exile is at hand. 
The temple is going to be destroyed. They're, they're about to live through these things. They're going to be punished. So Isaiah is told to shout out loud, don't hold back, raise up your voice like a trumpet, declare to the people, declare to my people their rebellion and to the house of Jacob their sins. Okay, well, what's the rebellion? What's the sin? Verse two, it says, for day after day, they seek me out. They seem eager to know my ways as if they were a nation that knows what is right and has not forsaken the commandments of God. Did you hear that sentence? Just let me read that again. They seek me daily and delight to know my ways. As if they were a nation that did righteousness and did not forsake the ordinance. <laughs> you're acting of their God. like you're people who aren't a bunch of jerks. <laughs> you say you want my will. You say you want to seek me out. You say you want to know my ways as though you're not this terrible nation that you actually are. There's just some sarcasm in that line that I, I just get a kick out of. Well, yeah. Well, gosh, that's <clears> a really <throat> subtle, it's a subtle way to understand. Like, I don't know. Yeah, you can just go through like everything's okay, it's fine. And now it's going to tell you why they think it's fine. So it's verse 3. It says, so this is their response. We, why, why have we fasted, they say, and you have not seen it. Basically, we're, we're doing everything right. We're doing the stuff. Hey, we're fasting it, and it doesn't seem like you see it, God. Why have we humbled ourselves and you haven't noticed? And then the Lord responds, yet on the day of your fasting, you do as you please. You exploit your workers. Your fasting ends in quarreling and strife and in striking each other with wicked fists. So every time you fast, it basically ends with a fist fight. Every time you're trying to do things that are humble and good, it ends with you being selfish and beating somebody down. It's like every Hollywood movie. Basically. I mean, every Hollywood action movie, by the way, ends in a fist fight. Yeah, that's true. Does it? I mean, just explore the principle. Okay. You can, I, I just only think of Fight Club and ends with soap. <laughs> um, you cannot fast as you do today and expect your voice to be heard. You can't keep on doing what you're doing and expect that I'm going to hear your voice. Is not the kind of fast that I have chosen only one day for a man to, hum- is this the kind of fast that I have chosen? Just one day for a man to humble himself? Is it only for bowing one's head like a reed or for lying on sackcloth and ashes? Is that what I call a fast, a day acceptable to the Lord? Acceptable, the word for acceptable in the context is always used to refer to a sacrifice. He's saying, look, I'm expecting a sacrifice. Basically what the Lord is saying is, you have this day, great, you don't eat these foods, you put on sackcloth, you you act all sad, you put your head down, but you haven't actually changed anything. It's like, great, I gave up meat on Friday. And I'm still a mob boss the rest of the days that we're here. You, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, okay, that's great that you gave up meat on Friday. It's neat that you gave up chocolate for Lent this year, but you're still committing adultery on the side. Right. Like, you can't live however you feel like and then say, well, I'm going to do these things. It, it reminds me so much of Jeremiah, who is proclaiming right before Jerusalem is destroyed. And he has that. He is quoted by Jesus who calls out the temple and he says, look, you people are hiding behind deceptive words and you're saying, oh, we have the temple. We have God's presence. We're fine. And then you go out exploiting people and trampling people down and being greedy and, you know, doing all of these, you're committing adultery and, and, and idolatry and all these different things because, no, it's cool. We've got the temple and I come here once every couple months and I offer my sacrifice and it's fine. I go to mass on Sunday. I'm not that bad of a person, right? I make my commitment. I do my thing. I go through the motions. And I was like, that's not what I'm looking for. What I'm looking for is not one day that you happen to put ashes on your forehead. I mean, that's great. We should do those things. I'm referring to Ash Wednesday. Oh, okay. I'm putting it in our I, I, I wasn't. I wasn't Sackcloth sure. and ashes. I mean, they, you I know, know I was joking. But you know, I mean, how many of us do that? And we're like, no, it's cool. I went to Ash Wednesday. I want to show everybody in my office that I went on Ash Wednesday, but I'm not really going to let that affect the rest of my life. Yeah. 
This is what Israel's promised. This is, I, I don't know, I think it's so much, I, I see it as my problem. You know, we go through the motions, we do our thing, and then we kind of forget about it the rest of the time. And so the antidote to this, and it's in verse 6, the one right before what we get, God says, is not this the kind of fasting? Here's the kind of fasting that I want. I want you to loose the chains of injustice and to tie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free, to break every yoke. And then he says, now we get to he's, our And reading. he's not yoking about that. He's not yoking about it. Is it not... Is it not to share your food with the hungry, to provide poor with shelter, when you see the naked to clothe him, to not turn away from your own flesh and blood? When your light, then your light will break forth like the dawn, and your healing will quickly appear. I'm reading from a different translation that you're going to hear. And then your righteousness will go up before you. So he's basically saying, okay, it's not just about one day. It's not just about your day of fasting. It's not just about giving up meat on Fridays and Lent. He's saying it should actually be an effect of your life. You shouldn't just give up meat. You should feed the hungry. You shouldn't just bow your head down and, and look sorrowful on days of fasting. You should clothe the naked. And if you do all these things, then what Isaiah literally says is, then you will be like light. And light in the Bible, certainly in the Old Testament, is always a descriptor for God himself. So he's saying, look, if you do these things, you will actually become like God. You will be holy. Now, here's the catch, and this is what I keep coming back to. I feel like we have this culture for some reason. Maybe it's just us as a man. I feel like I hear it here in our culture. I heard it, you know, back when I was a focus missionary. I just feel like we hear this stuff all the time. We're very much an either-or culture. You're either this person that goes through the motions and goes to Mass and gives up things at Lent and prays your rosary and does your devotions, or... You are the kind of Catholic that goes and cares for the poor and does social justice and, you know, does all these other things. Cares about the environment. But it kind of becomes this either or thing. Rather than and a both and. It needs to be a both. God isn't saying here, so therefore don't fast anymore. Only care for the poor. Only feed the hungry and clothe the naked. No, you should. You still need to fast. You still need to do the things that you're called to do. We still need to go to Mass on Sunday. It just needs to continue on from there. This is, I think, at the heart of at least our ecclesial political divide because we use political terms in the church like liberal Catholics and conservative Catholics, and we throw stuff out like this. And if you think about it, when people tend to think about more conservative or traditional Catholics. You think about people who care about personal holiness. They care about going to mass and receiving the sacraments and reading devotions and building up that relationship between us and God and our personal holiness. Right. And then the more, you know, people who call themselves or sometimes they're called by their enemies, right? Progressive or liberal Catholics. It's the ones who are more cared about social justice and feeding the poor and the environment and the immigrant and all these things. And they're both sides are right to emphasize those things just not to the exclusion of the other. Right. And this is how we are in the place that we are in right now in our society where Catholics have become politicized. And we don't out, we don't actually realize that, no, we're actually called to all of it. Isaiah couldn't be more starkly clear. You have to do the things that God commanded you. There are laws. There are things that are asked of us. But you also have to pour yourself out to those things. You have to pour yourself out to your brothers and sisters because to ignore, to go to the temple and offer your sacrifice and then to forget that God commanded you to pour yourself out for your brothers and sisters is not to be faithful to God's commands. Right. You can't piecemeal the laws of God. But if you can live this out, what Isaiah says is you actually become light, like light. And it talks about, what is that line? I underlined it. Then your light shall rise in the darkness and your gloom shall become like midday. Before that, though, it says your righteousness will go before you. And I hear my righteousness going before me. It, our translation says, uh, bless you, 
Um, your vindication will come before you and the glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. The imagery I keep seeing when I read those passages is imagery of the Exodus. When the glory cloud went before them, the righteousness of God mm. went before them. And then what's the rear guard? The Lord shall be your rear guard. That's also a reference to the Exodus when they crossed the Red Sea and God defended them against the, the Egyptians who were chasing after them. God was their rear guard. They're literally flanked by the holiness of God, which protects them. Even though this nation is humble and lowly and poor and wandering in the desert, they are protected and God is their light because they are led by God's light. They are protected by God's light because they've actually made themselves or allowed themselves to be small. They've allowed themselves to be led by the glory of God. Which is subtle and difficult to do. It's funny, as I was reading this passage, the, I mean, it says, if you remove the yoke from among you and the accusing finger... Finger. Was, finger. Finger. I was just wondering, I was like, I was like, what is this yoke? And it's actually this bond. It says the loose the bonds of wickedness. That there, it's actually a literary structure that starts in, in verse six, which we have excluded, unfortunately, today. Yeah. So like when we see that, like that's exactly what's taking place in the Exodus. Is like yes. is is Israel's getting unbound. Yes. And and absolutely. And and like and actually I think too of Exodus ninety in the midst of this. Um, Exodus 90 is a movement that um, is a lot of uh, fasting from media and foods and alcohol. Oh, you don't mean for, for Exodus chastity. chapter 90? No, not Exodus chapter gotcha. 90. Exodus 90 is, is a movement that... It's like, I don't that, think there's that many chapters that's in ...that started so that um, uh, men can <coughs> yeah. start to find freedom from pornography yes. and masturbation and, and, uh, <coughs> and really actually go into... A place to where a fast mm. that's pleasing to the Lord. Yes, and to yes. to do all of this stuff to loose the bonds of wickedness and yeah. the, and, the, and undo the thongs of the yoke. Yes, of just saying like, no, I'm going to get released so that I, I'm not just contentious and filled with lack a, a lack of charity, but yeah. that I actually am considering of my brother. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, which, in a certain sense, is the, is the whole is the whole response of the scriptures. It's absolutely. Like, it's like uh, the fundamental break in the relationship of Adam and Eve and Cain and Abel. We're trying to actually like, like that's why Jesus comes into to like set us free. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think of uh, I think of the fig tree in the Gospel of. Is it only in Mark that has the fig tree, the Jewish uh, curses? I know it's in Mark. I know it's in Mark. I don't know if it's only in Mark. And, you know, the fig tree has always been this confusing passage. Jesus just lets loose on a fig tree, right? But if you read it in context, remember that scene Jesus goes into that's the... Why, that's why I don't eat fig Newtons, by the way. Nice work. Why? Because it didn't come at the right time. <laughs> nice. Because it's not a cookie. So It's not a cookie. It's a fig Newton. So Jesus is going into Jerusalem with his apostles. It's right before the Passion. He sees this fig tree... It says it's a fig tree and leaf. He goes up, he doesn't find fruit, and he flips out. And the apostles are like, what is going on? Flipping and then out on literally the fig after tree. that, flipping out on a fig tree. But then literally right after that, he goes into Jerusalem, and he says, this place is filled with a bunch of hypocrites. And he calls the Pharisees whitewashed tombs, and they're going through all these motions, but they're actually bearing fruit, and so the temple will be destroyed because of that unfaithfulness and that hypocrisy. And then they come back and it says that the fig tree is withered. It's called a, a mark and sandwich. Two parallel ideas that sandwich together a big idea. So there's the cursing of the fig tree, the withering of the fig tree, and right in between, the cursing of the temple. And the key to the whole story is that, you know, Jesus goes up to this fig tree. It says it's in leaf. And when a fig tree is in leaf, when it's blooming, when it has blossoms, that's an outward sign that there should be figs. 
A fig tree only blooms when there's figs on it. And so Jesus sees this fig tree that's blooming, but there's no figs. So it's acting as though it's bearing fruit, but it's actually not bearing any fruit, which is precisely what he calls out when he goes to the temple. He's like, look at you guys. You're acting, you're going through the motions. You look like you're bearing fruit. You're showing the world this great thing, but you're not actually bearing any fruit. Blooming. So it's got to be, it's got to wither. But that's exactly the, the condemnation that Isaiah is giving them. Yeah. Bear real fruit. Like go, th- don't just go through the motions. Do the things, but bear fruit. But but do it in a way that's pleasing to God. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Exactly. I started my homily last night, and I was like, I was like, mm, 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 that was one tasty Markin sandwich. <laughs> did you really? I did. Wow. And uh, to which, well done. To which I had one girl like laugh like very far away. She's like, ah. <laughs> oh, I mean, so I mean, it was like. And was there I, a Markin sandwich? I'm trying to go back to yeah, it. Yeah, it's the uh, it's the the uh, 12-year-old girl, Jarius' daughter, oh, and yes, then the yes, woman yes, with yes, the hemorrhage. Yes. So You could have called it an intercalation. Maybe they'd have laughed harder. <laughs> that was one delicious intercalation. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, technicalities. All right, which is a good lead into Psalm 112, which basically embodies this concept. And, and it says, it, it reiterates that theme from Isaiah that says, the just man is a light in darkness to the upright, which... I mean, what does that remind you of? When did somebody else important in the Bible talk about people becoming a light? Uh, Jesus in Matthew 5. Yeah. He says, you remember, you're a light to the nations. He calls that, which I don't know. It's one of those things. When, when I first like read about and learned about the Beatitudes and the Sermon on the Mount and stuff in like, Sunday school, I just was under the impression that this idea of being a light to the nations is this totally novel idea. That Jesus is like, now there's this new kind of people that are supposed to be a light. But I didn't realize that that's what Israel was always called to. They were Mm. always supposed to be a light to the nations. Jesus is just reiterating the vocation that they failed at the first time or the first 20 times or whatever it was. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. That we continue to fail at every day and we're recalled to. Um, The just man is a light in the darkness to the upright. The light shines through the darkness to the upright. For he is gracious and merciful and just. Again, what this is talking about is being like God. How do you become a light in darkness? Well, the way to become what the psalm asks us to become is simply to read the instructions from Isaiah. Give of yourself. And it's not just merely give some food to the poor. Clothe, you know, give your extra jackets that you don't wear anymore to the people who don't have any. It's not that. I mean, that's a part of it, right? Right. But it's a matter of pouring oneself out. You Kenosis, need to empty kenotic. yourself. That's yeah, yeah. exactly it. And that's that's actually the the thing that is is so important about how Christ shows us this. It's like it's not just like I'm going to demand this of you without actually showing you the way. That's why he says, "I am the way. I'm going to do this." Yeah. Because well, because uh, upon our own strength, we, we have shown consistently from the beginning of time that we're unable to actually do this, and that's right. why we attach ourselves to Christ in the midst of that. That right. canonic expression, which means self-emptying in Greek, by the way. I didn't think that we were going to go there, but that this you've just built a, a perfect segue into 1 Corinthians with Paul. Absolutely. Because as you said, uh, Jesus doesn't ask us to do anything without doing it himself. Paul, who I think is Christianity's greatest teacher, actually does the same thing. He's got the same pedagogy. Right. Where he says, I'm not just going to tell you about what Jesus did. I'm going to do it myself and show you how that how that works. So it's Paul, of course, in Philippians has the great canonic hymn um, where he talks about Jesus, though he's in the form of God, God. didn't consider himself, it didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped. Something to be exploited. Exploited, rather, he emptied himself. And actually, about a chapter later, you have Paul's own canonic hymn in that very same uh, book where he says, 
you know, I was a Jew of Jews and I was a tribe of Benjamin and I was a Pharisee. I was the most learned person ever. And now I count all of it as worthlessness for the sake of knowing Jesus Christ. He literally is trying to show you I'm doing this. And that's what he's doing here in first Corinthians. We've, mm-hmm. we've talked about first Corinthians yeah. for the first couple of weeks or the last couple of weeks, rather in the sense of that they were people who were really big on themselves. They had a great idea of who they wanted the world to see them as. They wanted to look like they were bearing a lot of fruit, but they weren't necessarily bearing it. Mm. They wanted to look wide. They were leafy green. Leafy green, but underneath there was a little bit of rot. Like Mm. those leafy greens you get at Safeway, and you're like, these aren't good anymore. When they're slimy, dude. The slimy spinach. Dude, slimy spinach takes your heart, man. I don't want Safeway to sue us for saying that. It was an arbitrary grocery store. I don't go to iSafeway. I haven't, I haven't shopped at Safeway in many years. Just the first grocery store I could think of. Well, that's sa- that was a safe way to go. Ah, uh, uh, anyway. Um, yeah, but but they're, they're, they're big on their own wisdom and their intelligence. They want to look like the Athenians with their philosophy and their wealth, even though most of them are probably former slaves and some of them criminals, and they're really not that wise. They don't come from the upper crust of society. They're kind of upstarts. And so Paul says, okay, all of you Corinthians who consider yourselves so wise and so great and so wealthy and so powerful, you guys are the bomb. You guys are everything. He says, well, guess what? And this is where we get it in our reading. When I came to you, brothers and sisters, proclaiming the mystery of God, I didn't come with sublimity of words or wisdom, sublime words, for I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in my weakness and fear and much trembling. And my message and my proclamation were not with persuasive words of wisdom, but with a demonstration of power and of spirit and power, so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom like me, but on the power of God. Mm. I chose to come among you and empty myself and not be, you know, you all, you Corinthians who value persuasive words and debate and rhetoric and language and these wonderful lofty words, I didn't come to you with any of those things. I came to you with me, humbled, weak, and trembling, and I let Jesus work through me in his spirit and be empowered. He's showing his own self-kenosis again. Now, of course, the irony of all this is that he's talking about his lack of wise, lofty words in very beautiful, lofty language, which you're like, well, wait a second. What (laughs) what does that mean? Because this is a brilliantly written letter in which he talks about how he's not brilliant at words. Something that, this is a side note. But I've always been struck by that and confused by it because I'm like, Paul, are you just kind of pretending to be? Is this like false humility? What What are you doing? And so First Corinthians, you know, uh, prideful, arrogant Corinthians, Paul calls them out on a lot of stuff. Man, he that, excommunicates that, somebody in chapter five. He calls them all babies. I, I mean, it, it's a, it's like last week I started my homily like, like imagine this letter was written to you. Not <laughs> not many. You weren't considered by the world to be wise or powerful or yeah. noble birth. I'm like, I'm like, dude, this is this email is not going well to no. start off. You know what I mean? Like, you're basically stupid, yeah. poor, and nobody cares. Yep. And then again, he goes on to it gets it gets worse. It gets basically. worse. He just lays them out, but then he says, "But but but the world takes those who are lowly yes. and raises them up." Now we get now uh, reading Paul's letters. It's it's tricky because in a certain sense, we're reading somebody else's mail, and you're only hearing one hat. You know when you're when you're like on the bus or on the street or something, and you hear somebody talking on their cell phone, like Bob Newhart. Bob Newhart. Yeah, he always had this this thing on the Bob Newhart show where he'd like do one side of the conversation. It'd be really funny. <laughs> That's really funny, dude. But you, do you wow. ever do that? And you're like, I, I, what is the other person saying? Oh today? yeah. 
And that's what we have with Paul's letters. And again, they're God-inspired, they're here, they're in- infallible, but we don't know what the other side of the conversation is. But we know that there is another side because we have a second letter of Paul to the Corinthians in which Paul is supremely on the defensive now. You get the impression that 1 Corinthians did not go over too well and that the Corinthians responded to 1 Corinthians pretty angrily. And so Paul writes 2 Corinthians in response to their anger, now very much on the defensive. And the impression that you get, you got to read between the lines a little bit, but 2 Corinthians is all about Paul defending himself, saying, hey, I'm legitimate. I'm an apostle. I am legitimate to be teaching you and sharing these things. So you get the impression the Corinthians have tried to tear down that authority that he has. Mm. You, Who do you think you are to share all this stuff and to call us out and to call us babies and do this stuff? Who do you think you are? You have no authority. You're nobody. And so Paul's on the defensive. But one of the things that comes out in 2 Corinthians as he's defending himself, Paul is brilliant on paper. But you start to get the impression that maybe, maybe he wasn't as powerful a physical personality. Hmm. He says, you know, he talks about his appearance not being the best, talks about how he wasn't super well-spoken. And one of the accusations the Corinthians seem to be bringing out is basically you're like a paper tiger. You're great on paper, but then when you see the real thing, it just doesn't quite match up. It's not, not, it's not so great, right? But on paper in these letters, oh, you have your big words in your letters and you got your big talk. But then we see you and you're just this short, bald, nobody, you know, just not powerful guy. Foot stomping, and he's like, like, whatever, dude. And Paul's response is, no, not even foot stomping, like soft spoken, kind of just awkward. And Paul's response to that is, absolutely. Because that's not where my power lies. I mean, I can say lots of stuff and he's articulate in paper. Maybe he wasn't very articulate in person, but he says, you know what? There's a church because of you, and you are saved in the Lord Jesus Christ because of this weak, pathetic messenger of yours. And that's exactly how it should be, because I'm not saving you. Jesus is. And so, and that's where we get, he talks about um, having these great messages in, in earthen vessels. Jar, you remember the band Jars of Clay? Yeah. They get their, they, it is a, rain, rain on I liked time. that. Yeah, I liked yeah. that band. But they get their name from Second Corinthians, because Paul calls himself a jar of clay. Just this kind of crappy earthen jar that had this great thing inside, this gift inside. Mm. He's like, it's not about the vessel, though. But it is Paul, basically. I mean, it's kind of it's kind of like when, of it's kind of like when people meet us, and they're like, <laughs> oh, "You're amazing, you're the guys. Guys. You're like, like, oh, they oh. look, and I'm like, I got a face for radio, bro. <laughs> oh, you're the lanky guys. Oh, you're not so lanky anymore. But it, it puts all the rest of this puts Paul's words in perspective because, and again, it's not just Paul saying, "Oh, look at all these things I did. I fed the hungry this time. I gave this much of a tithe. I did these things." He's like, "No, I just gave everything." I emptied myself. I mm. got humiliated. I took away every, I, I abandoned all of it to give myself to you. He is, and in as much, what happens to him? Well, he becomes the light that is foretold in Isaiah. Mm. He then, Paul then, literally becomes light. And you know that that's true because of how many churches exist because of Paul's humility. Right. And because Paul poured himself out into them. Now we have great saints and great churches and centuries and centuries of theology and ecclesiastics because of him. Mm. So you're like, oh, yeah, he did become light, Mm. which is powerful. So he gives testament to this. And then we're kind of going backwards in chronology because Paul is trying to embody the teaching of Jesus and now we get the teaching of Jesus in Matthew. But Matthew, it's one of those things, you know, the Sermon on the Mount, again, we were in the Beatitudes, what, last week, I think, and now we're still in the Sermon on the Mount, but it's this stuff 
we've heard it a million times, at least for me, I feel like I've heard it a million times, but then really going into these other readings then puts Jesus's words in a very specific context, which gives it some life that I didn't necessarily know it had when I was, you know, in second grade Sunday school. Being like, be a light of the world, be the salt of the earth, you know, be nice to everybody, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, no, this is actually a little more meaty blah, than blah, that. Blah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. It's interesting. I was looking at this and it was like, you're the salt of the earth. But if salt becomes tasteless, that word, mm. uh, moranthe, um, is... You're it, a moranthe. Dude. I'm well, just kidding. You know. No, listen, listen, oh, to, d- listen to how it, it, it sounds. Moron. I, well, I know. That's what Which I'm... means become foolish. So losing oh. a taste, it, it actually... Paul is, says that. Yeah. He says, I became foolish. I became foolish. <laughs> but it says, but if salt loses its taste, so if salt becomes foolish, Ooh. with what can it be made salty? For it's nothing, it's no good except it'll be thrown outside and trampled underfoot oh by my. people. Which is interesting because what 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 happens? Like when is something trampled underfoot? A people is trampled underfoot in in loss and war. Okay, like um, uh, 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 the righteous are trodden upon by the wicked. Yeah. Like there's a sense of like being trodden upon is being is is a victory over. Yeah. And so yeah, it's absolutely it's really interesting. So in a certain yeah. sense, like Paul could be talking about how he was he actually became foolish. Yeah. And he was trodden upon because he needed to actually be raised up as what we see. I mean, like people were throwing cloaks at the foot of Paul. Paul was Paul was smoking hot in the in, in the time. I mean, yeah. in like in, yeah. as far as personality and like uh, pe- gathering people to himself, and yeah. actually, um, he was tr- trotting underfoot that yeah, I gotcha. salt of the I gotcha. world. So, gotcha. the, so the, it's yeah, yeah, kind yeah. of a Lucan inversion. Yeah, that's actually taking yeah. place where it's like the lo- he will take the lowly and he will raise them up, but yeah. he will cast down the mighty from their thrones. Yes. So, in a certain sense, like like it's the, it's the flip side of that coin. So, so two things are happening here. Um, when we the salt, the salt of the earth, like the salt brings flavor. I mean, you you watch any of those chef shows, especially like <laughs> chef, Master Chef Junior, dude. Bam, which is my favorite. Who's like, the guy that always yells "Bam"? I don't know. There's this. There's a guy. Yeah, that guy. Anyway, bam. Um, but so you you watch, and if something isn't seasoned, if it isn't salted, then it, it, it it's like what? Who cares? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? That's Throw what, it underfoot. Throw it on. Un- throw it underfoot. <laughs> throw the underfoot. Yeah, yeah. Even my brownies must be salted, and if, my caramel. But if salt becomes foolish, if salt that's becomes very fascinating. I know because it's a double meaning. Well, because what's happening? I mean, I, 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 this is these are fingers pointed back at myself too. This isn't you know the the high lofty look at all these terrible people. But I mean, look at what's happening with Israel and Isaiah. Look at what's happening with the Pharisees that Jesus calls out. They are challenging people with these super intense laws and regulations. And they're failing at them themselves. I mean, imagine Paul calling out people for sexual immorality while he's having an affair. Yeah. And that gets found out. Well, what happens to Paul? He is Paul. He's now foolish. A salt that loses its saltiness is now not just worthless, it's foolish looking. No, dude, that's, we, that's like when, when I saw the, like the New Life Church with like Pastor Haggard a few years ago mm. down in Colorado Springs. It was just like, oh, yeah, it was yeah. like, it was like the, the best church. Everybody was loving this Protestant church. And then yeah. they found out a bunch of really scandalous things. And it just was, and like, yeah. the man will never be the same. Right. And not that there's not redemption and forgiveness. That is real, but it doesn't change the fact that 
looks pretty foolish now. It does. And the world is going to look and say, well, that's worthless except to be trampled underfoot. But but, oh, th- but then there's the reality of Paul. And we're looking yes. at him and he's like, I'm coming and I look foolish, but I'm not. Yes. I'm really bringing the, the true salt, which it actually matters. And it's subtle and it's little. And it's fascinating to the world. Salt is just, it makes things more interesting, right? Oh, yeah. It makes things tastier. I mean, I think of all the saints that are like, I, I, I've, for some reason, I've had Blessed Chiara Badano, Chiara Luca Badano. I don't know if you're familiar with her. On you read her mind. A, the article about that. Yeah, I love her. Yeah. She's one of my favorite saints. She's a blessed, but she's, uh, she died like in the 80s. She died when I was a kid, which is crazy to me. Yeah. Um, she's so modern, and, and she didn't really do much of anything. <laughs> she was this teenager living in Italy, and she loved tennis. She fell down. She got a terrible, debilitating disease. And while she had her disease and like had to have her head shaved and lay in a hospital, she just was super duper happy. And she became a saint basically because she got really sick and stayed really, really happy. (laughs) Which you're like, that's weird. But all of a sudden you're like, if you start reading her story, they're like, people are just fast. Like there's something about her that people just like would flock and want to visit her. Like I want to meet you because there's something that's, there's a season in my life. There's something seasoning in you, uh, salt uh, seasoning Yeah. that I've just, I've never tasted that before. I've never right. seen this. I've never experienced this. I, there's nothing even that you're doing that's like mind blowing, but something about you is just really intriguing. It's like JP too. It's Paul like Mother Teresa. People. It's Mother Teresa, right? Even people who think that things Mother Teresa believed are foolishness. Well, foolishness, but you know, are, are wrong or idiotic. The world is just intrigued by this woman. Like what? You gave up everything just to live among the poor? Like that's just fascinating. My, I remember I, um, this is a side note, uh, but I, uh, for a while in my life, I thought I was called to be a CFR priest, a, a Franciscan priest. There's a community that lives... Now they're all over, but at the time they were just in, in the Bronx in New York, and they basically live a life of absolute poverty. Dude, you, know? you would have had the seriously best Franciscan beard. <laughs> I could have had a good Franciscan beard. But I had a friend here here from Boulder, one of my friends growing up, who's not a believer um, in his life, but he uh, I was trying to describe this lifestyle to him, and he was just so moved. He was like, and he, he said it kind of cr- crudely, but he was like, man, he's like, if you did that, Powell... Every time you came home, I would want to take you out and meet everyone I knew just to show people like I have a friend who is living this lifestyle that is so totally radical Mm. and so interesting. Again, he wasn't really a believer, but he was like, I'd want like that's so mind blowing to me. I want everyone to meet you because there's this seasoning in your life that I've never seen before. And there's just something to that. The world wants, the world doesn't want the sour face, you know, what is St. Teresa of Avila? Is it her? Sour face Save saints. us from sour face saints. Give us some seasoning. The world wants to see the Mother Teresas and the Chiara Badanos and the, the crazy CFRs with their long beard that just don't seem to fit in any category we have in our world. Right. And they want to see you, crazy Father Big Hair, whoop, whoop. wandering around like, I don't know what to do with you, but I want to get to know you more. Because I'm really fascinated. I like the verb that I got was wandering around. <laughs> Is that what I said? Yeah, yeah. Well, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, <laughs> like, hey, the, hey, there's that guy wandering around again. <laughs> there he goes. There he goes See you again. later. <laughs> but that's what the world wants. Mm. But again, it's risky. It's a risk because then what if the we fall wants. and if we become fools, we risk being fools in the negative sense. In the, in the, in the trampled the under the foot, just like defeated by 
the world. Which is why if we do it of our own power, it's not going to work. Right. If I just became a CFR priest because I was like, this is really cool and I want everyone to look at me and think how fascinating my life is and how I want to be the most interesting man in the world, then yeah, that's going to fail and fall on its face. But if you empty yourself like Isaiah is saying, like the psalm is saying, like Paul is saying, and allow the Holy Spirit to empower that emptiness, well, then it's unstoppable. Yeah, and that's where that's where we fast. Yes, exactly do, right. That's where we yeah. actually to take up what what's righteous. And you know what? This is actually the craziest part about it. Okay, talk to me. The very best moments that I've had as for being a, at being a priest. Yep. are not some sort of extraordinary like great skill that I have. It's just when I do what I'm supposed to, the normal stuff that a parish priest does, mm. and I just do it, like DJing. Like DJing. I mean, yeah. that's, no, like like answering a sick call. Like yeah. somebody right. calls and you say, okay, I'll go to do the sick call and I'm right. going to bring Jesus with me. And right. Or when somebody says, hey, I'm, I'm, right. can I talk to you? And you say yes. And yes. Or when you, in, in the confessional, you help somebody to get underneath something. Or, yeah. you know, like in mass, you're passionate about Jesus. Like yeah. you just love Jesus in the mass. Like it's that simple. Right. Sometimes like, it is that simple. Like, it's not easy, but it's simple. Right. Well, yeah, that's true, actually. You know, sometimes it ain't easy. It ain't easy being green, as my dad says, and <laughs> yeah. Kermit the Frog. Yeah. Well, you guys should stay green. Yeah. What? What? That's weird. Stay salty. Stay salty. D- stay salty. That's the tagline for the podcast. <laughs> hey. Good. Okay. Well, we'll be back next week, and uh, until then, if we we're not, if we're If we're not back next week, then um, call the police. Yeah, well, hopefully we'll just be back. But before we go, I almost forgot we have a shout-out. We haven't had a shout-out in a while. Bum, bum, bum. I'm going to give a shout-out to Caitlin Daly. I think I'm pronouncing that right. Our best friend, Caitlin Daly, who lives out in Ohio, who is um, Megan Dillon's sister's friend. Caitlin Which Daly. Is exciting. So very, very connected to us. Dude, there's like some weird 80s rock singer, something Daly, that she sang in... Um, Better off dead, and she was like short, and I think. Is that the John Cusack movie? Yeah, yeah. Sweet. So yeah, so uh, and Pee Wee's Big Adventure. She was like Dottie in Pee Wee's Big Adventure. Nice. Well, if you're the same Caitlin Daly as that, then uh, then keep it real. Then keep it real, and if you're not, then um, keep it real anyway. Yeah. And we will see you all next week. Keep it real. Bye. Bye. The Word on the Hill is a production of the Aquinas Institute for Catholic Thought here in beautiful Boulder, Colorado. You can find us online at www.lankyguys.org. See you next week.